The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Okay, Psalm 6 to the chief musician with stringed instruments on an eight-stringed harp. A Psalm of David. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord will receive my prayer. Let all my enemies be ashamed and greatly troubled. Let them turn back and be ashamed suddenly. How you doing, Brian? Good to see you here. All right. I saw our girl over at Publix this morning. We had a rejoice fest. Okay. Um, let's see here. Uh, we're in Judges 7. This is verses 9 through 20. This is entitled Gideon, Judge of Israel, Part 6. All right. This was typed on December 4th of 2023. And we're reading 9 through 20. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it, so that it fell and overturned, and the tent collapsed. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just as they had posted the watch. And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. 
Then the three companies blew the trumpets and <laughs> broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. Then they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. Extra biblical claims of revelation from God are distract us from study and contemplation of his word. There are accounts of such things detailed in scripture. Today's account will tell us of one such event. At the time, the people of the world did not yet have the fully revealed word of God. This obviously means that God was still revealing it to the world. Therefore, it is not unexpected that there would be prophets, visions, divinely directed dreams, and the like. These things were used by God to direct his plan of redemption to reveal coming aspects of what he would do as are later recorded in the word and to show later generations how such things came about. Is any of that necessary now? I say no. The word is given and it is fully sufficient to teach us everything we need to now know. Our text verse comes from Job 33, it's verses 14 and 15. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, while deep sleep falls upon men, while slumbering on their beds. In our verses today, there are a few astonishing aspects of the dream recorded here. Such things, once thought through, are like the light bulb above the head memes. The light comes on and suddenly one can see the logic. The word as it is given is so filled with interesting insights that we can read it innumerable times and still miss obvious truths that it is revealing. Keep reading the word, keep thinking on what it is telling you. It is God's marvelous gift to the people of the world. This is especially so because in it is revealed God's greatest gift of all, our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything points to him and to his coming. Let us remember this and seek him out in every detail. He is there waiting to be discovered. Such great things as finding Jesus throughout every story are to be found in his superior word. And so, let us turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. Our first thought today is, I have had a dream. It's verses 9 through 14. Verse 9, it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Vehi balela hahu vayomer alav Yehovah, and was in the night the it, and say unto him, Yehovah. This is the same night in which the selection of who would fight in the battle was made. From last week's sermon, then the Lord said to Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those three hundred men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley." Before the battle is engaged, the Lord will have something for Gideon to do that will ease the mind of the soldiers with him. The odds are so great against them that only absolute trust in the Lord's guiding hand could mollify their unease. However, the Lord first says, verse 9 continues, Arise, go down against the camp. Kum, red ba machane, arise, descend in the camp. Gideon is told to get up in order to go down. It is night. So the soldiers were probably laying around campfires. Maybe some were slumbering. But the Lord said the night is the time to engage the battle. This is a command for the entire camp to now descend and get going. Verse 9 continues, For I have delivered it into your hand. 
ki natativ beyadecha, for I have given it in your hand. The aspect of the verb is perfect. The matter is settled and accomplished in the Lord's mind. He promises victory over the vast horde scattered across the valley. However, to ensure the men are confident, he has a sign to help them mentally prepare. Verse 10, but if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant. Ve'imyare ata la radet red ata ufara na'archa elha machane. And if fearing you to descend, descend you and Pura, your servant, unto the camp. The Lord knew the heart of Gideon. He was leading 300 men into battle against 135,000. There would naturally be reticence concerning such an endeavor. Therefore, he directs Gideon with emphatic and precisely stated words. First, in the previous verse, he was told to descend in the camp. It is not a direction for fighting, but for another purpose. Also, the Lord could have said, take one of your men and go. Or he could have said, take a servant and go. Instead, he expressly identifies by name who Gideon should take, Pura. Pura is his Na'ar. The word means a youth, but in this case, it is referring to his attendant, probably his armor bearer. This is a young person who is not yet a warrior. Such a person would carry the implements of war for the warrior and would follow along after, killing all who were wounded by the hand of his master, but were not yet dead. The name Pura may come from one of two separate but related sources. The first is the verb para, to bear fruit or be fruitful. The other is the noun Pura, a branch. However, that in turn comes from Paar, to beautify or glorify. The branch is what beautifies a vine. This is seen, for example, in Ezekiel 31. There it says, all the birds of the heavens made their nests in its boughs. Under its branches, its pura, all the beasts of the field brought forth their young, and in its shadow all great nations made their home. Thus it was beautiful in greatness and in the length of its branches, because its roots reached to abundant waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide it. The fir trees were not like its boughs. And the chestnut trees were not like its branches. Again, Pura. No tree in the garden of God was like it in beauty. Therefore, the name Pura means fruitful or branch. However, if branch, it carries with it the sense of honor, beauty, glory, and so forth. Verse 11, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Rather and more precisely, Veshamta ma yedeberu veachar techezakna yadecha veyaradta ba machane. And hear what they speak, and after shall be strengthened your hand, and go down in the camp. The meaning is that in hearing what the Lord has spoken, the hand of Gideon will no longer be limp from fear. He will be encouraged and confident to enter into the battle. Again, as in verse 9, it says, in the camp, meaning to attack it. Verse 11 continues, then he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. The words bear an emphasis. Vayered hu ufra na'aro el ha hamushim asher ba machane. And descended he and Pura, his servant, unto extremity the fiftied who in the camp. Gideon, the cutter, is highlighted. He, along with Pura, did as directed and went to the outskirts of the Hamushim. 
It is a verb, the meaning of which is highly debated. Outpost, though, is incorrect. It may mean the arrayed or something similar. However, other than later vowel pointing, it is spelled identically to the plural of the word 50. Therefore, it is likely that it signifies a battle array of units of 50 men. Today, we would say by platoon to indicate units of 50 men. These two descended and came up close to the 50s. There would be 2,750s in the camp of 135,000. By the Lord's providence, they will come to the extremity where a particular 50 was situated. Verse 12. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Rather, umidyan va'amalek ve'kal b'nei kedem noflim ba'emek ka'arbe'larov. And Midian, and Amalek, and all sons east, lying in the valley according to the locust, to the multitude. The words take us back to the opening of the previous chapter. There it said in Judges 6, So it was when Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. Midian means place of judgment. Amalek is derived from the word am, or people, and malak, which means to nip or wring off the head of a bird without severing it from the body. Thus, they are the people who wring off. They are those who are disconnected from the body and strive to disconnect the body. The Bene Kadem, or sons east, would be the various people groups, including Arab tribes, Ishmaelites, and so on. Saying these were numbered like the locusts is a way of saying that just as the locusts move around, making it impossible to count them, so was this horde of invaders gathered in the valley. There were so many of them that they seemed endless in number. This is set in contrast to the mere 300 men with Gideon. Verse 12 continues, And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. Ve ligmalehem en mispar. And to their camels, not number, according to the sand upon her lip, the sea, to the multitude. It is a hugely whopping and great superlative seen previously in Joshua 11 verse 4, when Israel met the enemies gathered at the waters of Merom. The idea is almost an infinite number of them. The word sand or chol comes from the verb chul, to whirl or to writhe. The idea is that of the sand whirling in the wind. Hence, it would be impossible to count the sand as it blew over it. As for the gamal or camel, that comes from the verb gamal, to deal fully or adequately with. Thus, it can mean to wean, repay, require, reward, ripen, and so forth. As such, it refers to the treatment, either well or ill, that a person will receive. Camels were not found in abundance in Canaan. They were brought in by the invaders, demonstrating the enormous amount of provision the marauding invaders possessed and the profusely plump piles of plunder that they had taken each year as they stormed over the land. This is set in contrast to the limited supplies of Gideon's men, which was carried on foot rather than by camel. Verse 13, And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, Vayavo Gidon, Vehine, Ish mesaper le rehu chalom, and came Gideon, and behold, man recounting to his friend dream. 
This is what the Jewish sages called the bat kol, or daughter of a voice. They say there are four ways of receiving a divine word. I do not agree with this, so don't make a squiggle in your head. They say prophets dream the Urim and the bat kol. It is a voice of guidance, or the first words one hears after looking out for them. For example, in 1 Samuel 14, we read, Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. Then the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. That is the bat kol. And they're saying that this is one of the four ways of receiving divine visions and interpretations. This is not a sound interpretation of Scripture. First, there are other means of receiving a divine word, such as the appearance of an angel or a vision or so forth. Second, the Lord is instructing Gideon to a specific place to hear a specific word. That word is based on a dream. Charismatics and the superstitious accept this type of thing as a divine message. If this, then this. It is a sloppy way of handling one's theology. It leads directly to the open the Bible, turn to a random page, point, and make your decision approach to life. As for what Gideon hears, verse 13 continues, he said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. Vayomer, hine halom halamti, vehine tselol lechem seorim mithabtek bemachane midian, and said, behold, Dream dreamt, and behold, loaf, bread, barley, turning in camp, Midian. There is a word found only here in scripture, selul, or maybe tselil, they're not sure. It is highly debated what the word means, and many suggestions have been made. It may signify a round or flattened, but round cake of bread. Strong's identifies the word as coming from tselal, to sink. As something sinks, it generally wafts downward through the water in a rolling motion. Thus, it may be a flat, round cake, or a roll, or a loaf of bread. Barley is considered a lesser grain compared to wheat. The bread is thus inconsequential in both size and quality. Therefore, it is emblematic of the camp of Gideon in relation to the camp of Midian, low and contemptible in contrast to the exalted and mighty. Barley is also known as the crop of hairy ears because of its appearance on the stalk. If you ever see barley, it looks like it's got hairy ears up there, okay? But that makes a theological point for us. It is named Seora, coming from Se'ar, hair. Hair in the Bible signifies an awareness, especially an awareness of sin, as in the sa'ir, or hairy goat sin offering. You take all these words, they're all etymologically connected, and you can come up with really great theology. The motion of the bread is hafak, to turn or turn over. It is the same word in the same construct used to describe the turning sword held by the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden. There it says, same word, same construct, so he drove out the man, and he placed a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword which turned. Ha, mith, ha, 
Tefek. I know I mispronounced that. The turning. Every way to guard the way to the tree of life. If it is flattened bread, then it is on its side like a turning wheel. Think of your wheel on your car. If a loaf, it is simply rolling along. Either way, it has come into the camp of Midian, the place of judgment. Verse 13 continues. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. The words here are chaotic and they're filled with motion. Vayavo ad ha'ohel vayachehu vayipol vayahafachehu lemala venafal ha'ohel and came until the tent and struck it and falling and turning it to her upward and fallen the tent saying the tent has several possibilities. It may be the main tent of the highest ranking person, but that seems dubious and forced. It could be the dreamer's own tent, making it personal. It was his own tent, not just some arbitrary tent. Or it may be that the word tent stands for the camp as a whole. It is the camp, singular, of Midian, singular. So this is the tent, singular, of Midian. That is not out of the question. It even seems likely based on the interpretation of the dream by his friend. Either way, this is what Gideon needed to hear. That of 135,000 people in 2,700 platoons and probably 25 tents per platoon, figuring two people per tent, Gideon walked up to the one tent where this dream had occurred. He also walked up at the time that the man conveyed his dream to his friend. The probability of coming to the right tent would be approximately 67,500 to 1. Coming at the exact time the conversation was going on would increase the odds further. Sergio figured the probability based on a 30-minute conversation, and it is a bit more than 1 in a million. A 5-minute conversation would take it to about 1 in 10 million chance of coming up at the right tent at the right moment. And more. A further verification that this was the Lord's doing is next scene, verse 14. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. And answered his friend and said, Not this except if sword Gideon, son Joash, man Israel? However, those in the camp became aware of Gideon and his men. It was understood that they were a teeny, insignificant force. And yet this dream clearly indicated that they would come into the camp of Midian and level it. This again raises the odds previously mentioned. The dream interpreter could have said, it's nothing. Go back to sleep, dreamer. Also, he was able to correctly interpret the dream as Gideon listened. He directly equated the turning loaf of bread, zot bilti, this except, to the cherev, or sword, of Gideon. Everything about the account is provided to assure Gideon that he will, in fact, prevail over Midian, just as the Lord had said. The name Joash means Jehovah has bestowed. Israel means he strives with God. That has bearing on the next words. Verse 14 continues, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. Natan ha Elohim beyado et midyan ve et kal ha machane, given the God in his hand Midian and all the camp. As in verse 9, the aspect of the verb is perfect. 
Just as the Lord said, so this man has confirmed. And more, he uses the term the God. The article is expressive, and it refers to the one true God in relation to man. But more especially, it is in relation to those who are in a right relationship with him, or it is used to contrast those who are not in a right relationship with him. In this case, Gideon, who is of Israel, he strives with God, is striving in a proper relationship with the God. This man understands that Gideon is chosen by the God, Jehovah, to destroy Midian and all of the camp. The words are convincing. The Lord alone will gain the victory. We simply trust in what he has done. He has set forth everything splendidly in the giving of Christ, his only begotten son. Let us trust in this and go forth confidently. Our destiny is secure through what he has done. Innumerable people gathered around the glassy sea, forgiven and redeemed through the work of the Son. Hallelujah to our God. Behold the great things he has done. Forever and ever we shall applaud the glory of the Lord's cross, God's only begotten Son. Our second thought today is torches and trumpets. It's verses 15 through 20. Verse 15, and so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped. And was according to hearing Gideon account the dream and its fracture, and he worshipped. The word shavar signifies a breaking, a fracture, a crushing, something like that. In this case, it is as if the dream was given, but it was closed up, it was sealed. Think of something like a bank vault. However, the interpreter was able to cause a fracture in the words, thus exposing the meaning. Hence, it signifies a solution or interpretation of the dream. This in itself was as miraculous as the giving of the dream. Gideon, like all of Israel, would have known the words of Joseph to Pharaoh, hearing them year after year as the stories of their forefathers were recounted from generation to generation. Genesis 40, verse 8, and they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Every detail of their time while at the camp of Midian was carefully orchestrated by the Lord to fully convince Gideon that victory was assured. Therefore, he took the time to worship the Lord in a grateful, confident manner that they would prevail. Verse 15 continues. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Vayashav el machane Yisrael vayomer, kumu kinatan Yehovah beyedchem et machane Midian, and returned unto camp Israel and said, Arise, for given Yehovah in your hand, camp Midian. As the Lord previously said, and as the interpreter of the dream repeated, so Gideon speaks using the word give in the perfect aspect. It is a done deal. Midian is already destroyed in the Lord's mind and in the mind of the interpreter. Now it is in Gideon's mind as well. Therefore, he instructs the men to arise. It's time to engage the enemy. Verse 16, then he divided the 300 men into three companies. This division was to give the illusion of a much larger attacking force coming at the enemy from various directions. It will later be employed by Saul and David. Three bands of raiders are also mentioned in the book of Job. There it says in Job 1, 
While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Once divided, verse 16 continues, and he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. Vayeten shofarot beyad kulam, vekadim rekim, velapedim betok hakadim and gave shofars in hand all them, and pitchers empty, and torches in midst the pitchers. The shofar is used to call troops to or into battle. In this case, it is into battle. When they are arrayed and ready, the shofar is blown and the attack begins. This would lead the enemy to suppose that the battle was coming from every direction with each shofar mustering an entire force of men. This could mean 30,000 or more Men are ready and running into the camp filled with sleeping men. It would bring immediate terror and confusion to the entire camp. The cod or pitcher was an earthenware jar often used for carrying water from a well, such as that used by Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24. In this case, the pitchers are empty and a torch was inserted. The jar was to conceal the light until it was time for it to shine forth. The word lapid describes a torch or a lamp. In this case, it is a torch that would not be easily extinguished and which would increase in brightness as it was waved to and fro. The lights would be used by the head of a company to direct those behind him where he was going in the dark. Again, it gives the illusion of many people following leaders right into battle. Verse 17, and he said to them, look at me and do likewise. The words are short and to the point. Vayomer alahem and said unto them, From me look, and thus do. He would lead the attack when all the men were set and ready. From wherever he was stationed, the rest would have stealthily encircled the camp, keeping their eyes on Gideon's position as he approached the camp. Therefore, verse 17 continues, Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. There is a strong, emphatic nature to his words. Vehine. And behold, I come in extremity the camp, and it is according to which I doing, so shall you certainly do. Moving to the edge of the camp rather than remaining at a distance was to make the Midianites think that an entire attacking force was directly upon them. It would throw them into utter confusion and absolute panic. This is the point of the careful repetition and detailed emphatic instruction by Gideon. Therefore, verse 18, when I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me. Again, it is emphatic. And I blast in the shofar, I and all who with me. Gideon would initiate the process, and almost simultaneously he would be accompanied by his 100 men. This would initiate the battle. Those inside the camp would hear it and understand that a battle was beginning. Any mentally alert Midianites would direct their eyes and ears in the direction of Gideon. But within just another second or two, confusion would break out in their minds. Verse 18 continues, Then you also blow the trumpets on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. It is again emphatic. Gam, Sivot, Kauha, Machane, Ve'amartem, 
Ulegidon, and you, blast in the shofars also, you, around all the camp, and say to Yehovah and to Gideon. The inserted words, the sword of, which the New King James Version puts in there, are a part of the call as indicated in verse 20. They are not a part of this verse. So I'm sorry they did that, but it's okay. It is a rallying cry for Gideon's forces to remember the Lord and to acknowledge the leadership of Gideon under the Lord. Calling out the name of the Lord, a name that would be known to the Midianites as well as the name of Gideon, was to let them know that they were being attacked under the authority of their God with a capable military leader heading the army. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And Gideon and hundred men who with him in extremity the camp head the watch the middle. The timing is purposefully selected to be when the sentinels were least likely to be ready for any alarm. It is generally believed that there were three designated watches in the night during this time in history. As night went from 6 to 6, it would be around 10 p.m. If there were four watches, then it could be as late as 12 p.m. Either way, most in the camp would be falling into deep sleep. Waking up suddenly causes the brain to be foggy and unprepared. If you don't believe that, look at me when I wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning, okay? Verse 19 continues, just as they had posted the watch. The words are a verb fest. Ach, hakem hekimu et hashomrim. Surely, arising, arisen, the watchers. The meaning is that the new watch had just gotten up. They were just being posted, probably still bleary-eyed. The others were mind-numb from their posting and ready to sleep. Just at this carefully selected moment, it says, verse 19 continues, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. And blasting in the shofars and shattering the pitchers which in their hands. The verb shattering is structured to indicate that the blasting and the shattering occurred simultaneously. That one moment there would be the sound of the battle call, the crash of some unknown but destructive sound, and the sudden flashing of lights very close to the camp. Each detail is given to elicit the maximum terror in the newly posted watchers. Those going off duty would be likewise horrified that the enemy had encircled them while they were on duty. Those asleep would wake up completely confused, astonished, and terrified. The entire camp would be unprepared for the sudden event that had fallen upon them. Just as Gideon had acted and as instructed, it then says, verse 20, then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. And blasting three the companies in the shofars and shattering the pitchers. The fact that it already said that the 300 did these things in verse 19 has caused a lot of unnecessary speculation in many different directions with scholars. Verse 19 referred to Gideon and the company with him. This speaks of the other two companies doing it. Gideon had instructed them to follow after him. They have done exactly that. They immediately followed suit so that it was as if the attack was from all sides right at once. 
The text is simply affirming that all three companies obediently accomplished what they were charged to do. Verse 20 continues, they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And strengthened in hand left the torches and in their right the shofars to blowing. It could have simply said they held the torches and blew the trumpets. However, the text is asking us to consider why the particular hands are specified. The left side refers to the north or darker side in scripture. The word simol or left comes from simla, a wrapper or a mantle. Hence, the left is the hidden side. It is like saying, and strengthened in the hidden hand, the torches. Thus, the focus is on the torches. The right is the south side in scripture. It is the side of strength and authority. Understanding this, verse 20 finishes with, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And crying, sword to Jehovah and to Gideon. The meaning of two is of. This is to be inferred from the previous clause. The 300 men stood completely unarmed as far as their hands were concerned. One hand held the torch and the other the shofar. They cannot do any killing like that. You've only got two hands, folks. You can't kill anybody. Therefore, any destruction that occurs is because the Lord directed it to be so. And Gideon, the cutter, is the Lord's designated leader who organized the non-fighting battle on behalf of the Lord. Any cutting down of the enemy must be credited solely to the Lord who directed every step and to Gideon who acted on the Lord's direction. And this is a truth that carries over to our own spiritual lives as well. Every aspect of what is needed to accomplish the victory has been wrought by the Lord. There can be no boasting in what we have done. Scripture makes this perfectly clear. And as our closing verse will reveal, the thought is central to what is going on in the redemption of man. The Bible notes that we are saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. Rather, Ephesians 2 says that it is the gift of God. A gift is something unearned, and grace is unmerited favor. Understanding this and remembering that we are never to mar grace by assuming that we must accomplish works in order to merit salvation, or that if we fail the Lord in some particular way, we cannot be saved or we might become unsaved. That is a chief lie of the devil. In essence, it says that we either participate in our own salvation or we accomplish it apart from God's grace. Think of these people that are sitting in church on Saturday, the Seventh-day Adventists, and they they think, I got to do this in order to be saved. If I don't do it, I could be unsaved. Think of the people that, you know, say, I can't eat pork because if I do, I'm not pleasing to God and he's going to cast me off. That is exactly what the devil wants you to believe time and time and time again. It is the Lord who has done the work. You do the believing, and that is it. Rather, let us trust in what God has done. That is what faith is. It is accepting his work and being persuaded that it is sufficient, completely, totally sufficient. Next week, we will go through the final verses and see what the contents of chapter 7 are pointing to. But from our final verse of the passage today, we can know that acknowledging that the battle is the Lord's is a key part of what is being conveyed. For the Christian, that came about by faith. 
Let us hold fast to that, not getting pulled away through cunning deception. The gospel is clear, and it is very simple. Let me explain it to you. Here it is. This is the gospel of your salvation. This is what Paul says it is. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, Jesus Christ was buried, and Jesus rose again the third day, according to Scripture. That's it. That's the gospel. That's what we're seeing. This guy, Gideon, pictures that simple proclamation. I believe that I've sinned, and I believe that I've offended a holy God, and I need to be saved, and Jesus died to save me. Jesus was buried, taking my sin into the grave. Jesus rose again, proving that my sin is still in that grave. I explain it every week, and I hope that everybody understands it perfectly. If your sin stuck to Jesus, he would not have come out of the grave. That means you are free from your sin. You're not going to lose your salvation, or you're not going to have to earn anything beyond being saved. And it also means that if he had sin, which we talked about in this dedication this morning, he wouldn't have come out of the grave because he was born with Adam's sin. But circumcision, the picture of circumcision is that sin was cut in humanity through the giving of Jesus Christ. He is the picture of fulfilled circumcision. When we enter into Christ, the sin is cut. It can no longer have hold of you. If people can just understand that, a ton of bad theology would be taken care of. A ton of it. Believe that simple gospel. Don't try to add to or mar grace. And be thankful to God because of what he has done in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what I would ask you to do. Please understand what grace is. If you had to do something or if you have to do something, it's not grace. He has done it all. Thank God for Jesus Christ. Okay, our closing verse. I said it was coming. Here we go. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No. By the law of faith. It's that simple. There's no boasting. The law of faith. You believed. That was the law. You must believe the gospel. That's your law. That's all you have. When you believe, you're saved. Boasting is excluded. Except what Paul says at the end of Galatians chapter 6. May I boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ our Lord to whom I was crucified. Go ahead, Burke, help me out here. To the world and the world crucified to me. Okay, thank you. That's it. That's the only source of boasting is what he's done. I'm boasting in him, not in myself or anything I've ever done. Holy moly, Charlie. I couldn't save a puppy. I couldn't save anything. But Jesus Christ can save the whole world because he was born without sin, he lived without sin, and he died for our sin thank God for Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm so excited about Jesus. Every day I get more excited. Oh, it's so wonderful. I'm going through right now, where am I? Uh, Genesis? Am I? Yes, I'm still in Genesis. I finished up at the projects. We finished the Bible, the audio Bible. And the first thing I did was real quick while I'm driving, not very safe. I'm pulling out one CD and putting in another one. Get back into Genesis. The adventure begins again. Learn your Bible. Love the word of God because it's telling us of Jesus. Okay, you have to raise your hand. It came from your little card thing. It's very simple. If you, if you get this question, you are, you know, I was at Publix this morning. Yes, I do shopping once a week for the church, not for home. Hedica would kill me if I brought home what I like. Um, but I was there and in the two for one discount aisle, 
Yeah. Two for one, which, oh, there were all kinds of stuff. You need to go and yes. see because there might be something that we need. That I, There are olives, but I think I got two for one olives recently. Um, anyway, um, uh, two for one, I.O., that means we got one coming next week. Uh, this is really good stuff. Okay, this can be yours if you raise your, your hand and get this question. A Bridgeford, made in the USA, premium brand summer sausage, gluten-free. Oh, oh, net weight 16, yes, one pound of sausage, okay, um, and the rest of it, oh, wait, smoke flavoring added, okay, here we go, okay, um, raise your hand, it's criminally simple, in which book is the account of David and Goliath mentioned? Uh, you didn't raise your hand. Somebody, <laughs> who, say it. You had your hand up first. Samuel. Okay, first Samuel. You're right. I'm sorry. I said to raise your hand. You could have had a pound of sausage. He was actually drooling over it too. So, I'm sorry. The hand has to go up when it's that easy. Uh, Don, mom, he did as he had his hand up before you did. What's that? Oh, she said kings. Oh, pfft. shame on you. Okay, Don and Jody are going to have a sausage fest tonight. Okay, I'm going to put this right here. There. Okay, um, let's see here. I got a poem, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. No sausage with the Lord's Supper, okay? Oh, man. What about the closing verse? Oh, yeah, we, I, I, I got to do that. Hang on. Yes. No, I didn't. Next week. Here we go. Next week. I'm glad you said it, because I would have gone right into the uh, poem, and I, I can't do that. Okay, next week is Judges 7, 21 through 25. Fun a ton. It's so swell and close to heaven. It's entitled Gideon, Judge of Israel. Hey, that'll be our 24th Judge's Sermon. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, did I read this? No, I, yes, I did. I read that. Okay, so here we go. This is the poem, Gideon, Judge of Israel, Part 6. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to Gideon in a command, Arise, go down against the camp, for I've delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp, so be observant. Then he went down with Pura, his servant. Together they did scamp to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and Amalekites, all the people of the east, were in the valley as numerous as locusts. No, the size is not skewed. And their camels were without number, as the sand by the seashore in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream to my surprise of this event. A loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and collapsed the tent. And then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, Israel's champ, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped so grand. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. Then he divided the 300 men into three companies, so he did divide. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside. And he said to them, Look at me and likewise do. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do too. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpets on every side, so you shall do. Of the whole camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon too. 
So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, according to the plans, just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hands as things had begun and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing. And they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon, Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true, and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for the chance to come into your presence and to hear the word and to see what's being told us in these Old Testament passages that are so marvelously structured, so wonderfully worded that when we come to the conclusion and we find out why these things are being said, we can say, I really get that, Lord. Jesus on every page, Jesus in every paragraph, and Jesus in every word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the subject of the Bible. He is the object of our affections, and he is the one who has come to redeem us. Thank you, O God, for Jesus Christ, our Lord, and it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, one other thing I need to say, because I I don't want to forget this afterward sometimes i you know it's hard it's so hard when you're standing up here and you got these things going on and you forget something you think i I don't want to do that um there should be a card that everybody here should have signed if you didn't please do that um ron's brother is the one that got us the new chairs and he got us the carpet and he's offered to paint the building as well and uh, it was a real gesture i mean he's only been here a couple times and it was just very nice of him and then ron has been here four times this week from the villages to get down here and to monitor this to get it all done unbelievable so thank him personally sign the card for his brother and it you know what do you do i i said to ron what do you do for somebody when they've done something like that you know everybody gives what they can somebody gives 25 cents somebody gives but you know for somebody that doesn't attend the church that i find is incredible so I, I don't want to overstate it because we're all on a different level in the Lord and we all have different needs and abilities. But, you know, when somebody doesn't attend a church and they do that, probably because he loves his brother, which is kind of hard to figure, but... <laughs> uh, just kidding, Ron. Don't take that personally. Okay, here we go. 